All right. Now, I know they're holding some handouts back there, and you might have noticed I gave my message notes to Diane because the Lord put something else on my heart this morning. And you see, I had to get rid of the notebook even to kind of get the courage to go where I needed to go, so to speak. If you were like, what? Try preaching. Anybody want to be scheduled for next Sunday's sermon? You'd be freaking out just enough to, th to hope the one you wrote was the right one, let alone before church for the Lord to go, different today. And so I want, to, I want us to turn to the book of Luke. We'll see what happens. We'll just see how it goes. The book of Luke, chapter 15. Amen. I love to hear that. That's our, what we do here is when you make it to the address, you just say, I love the word. That lets me know you're ready. I was sitting down here um, just praying. And uh, from this perspective, you know, I get to see everybody's face. From your perspective, you get to see the back of everybody's head. And so I get to see facial expressions and the looks in people's eyes and so forth and so on. And just something happened in this morning's prayer time where out of the blue, the Holy Spirit, I believe, spoke to me and said, the prodigal son. And that there are many in our church who have prodigals in their family, prodigal husbands, prodigal grandchildren, prodigal children, prodigal wives. And it's a suffering thing to have a prodigal in your life, or, or, or you yourself are one. And so I was so moved by that that I was just almost like wanted to just get my phone out and play a game on my phone so I didn't have to listen to God this morning. Because I got another really cool message all set up. Must be for next week. But I said, okay, Lord, this is what you want. So here we go. Has anybody ever been a prodigal son or daughter? Raise your hand if you've ever been a prodigal. Oh, so few. That's really surprising. I was a professional prodigal. I really was. I should have gotten paid for it. I was so good at it. I was constantly a prodigal son for years and years and years in my life. You all have heard that part of my story, my, my previous life, uh, drug addiction. But really, if you think about it, it was, it was an addictive lifestyle. An addictive lifestyle isn't about your specific drug. It's about anything that makes you feel good at that moment. And addicts run at full speed. They are sprinters, uh, not marathon runners. They're sprinting as fast as they can through their specific high. And when that feeling runs out, they either go to something else to give them a better high, and when they find that, I say they, we, I, was, I did that journey for 14 years of my life. When I found, when, I run, when that one ran out of energy and it no longer felt good, then I'd run after something else. And I, but, but the addictive personality says you run after that with all your heart, with all your might, and then the problem is you're sprinting and no marathon and you run out of energy on that as well. And one of my drugs was God. Yeah, imagine that. 
I know some of you all have heard this story, but I'm preaching from the hip, so to speak, this morning. If you want the prepared message, you can come back next week. <laughs> so God was one, of my, was one of my highs. So when, when I mean, I, did, I don't even want to go through a list of drugs. It's not about you know, highlighting the terrible stuff that I've done. But there would be times when God always called, well, God always called on me. He always wooed me. He always, he chased me through all 14 years of that. He chased me. I'd go to bed every single night, I'm, and this, I'm, this is not exaggerating at all, every single night, whether high, whether drunk, or whoever I may be with, and before I fell asleep, I'd look up to the ceiling and I'd say, please don't come tonight, Lord. Because that's a part of the terror of living a prodigal lifestyle. For some people, they, they don't, maybe they don't recognize they have a prodigal lifestyle. Mine was a, a lifestyle. And so the drug would run out or the high from the drug would run out. And because God was constantly calling me. See, I was called to the ministry when I was 16 years old. And I left home when I was 18, and, but I drugged for 14 years until I was 32, and I met this beautiful woman right down here. Changed my life. And I was running from God the whole time. We're going to read the story here, and what's amazing that this is this guy's story as well. I was running from God the whole time. I was unhappy the whole time. I was taking and doing anything and everything I could to mask and shadow God's pursuit of my life. I'm speaking to somebody this morning. God would not have me take this route this morning just to make me uncomfortable getting away from my notebook. Somebody's dealing with this even in your own life or you have a family member that you're dealing with it about and oftentimes, it's, it's an addictive lifestyle. So God would woo me. God would call on me. And so the drug would run out, and uh, the high would uh, diminish, and I'd go to church. And of course, since I, was, I had an upbringing in it, it was like home. And it felt really good. And you know what I would do every time? I'd go straight to the altar and give my life back to God. And I'd get up from that altar with my new drug. And I'd run as hard and as fast as I possibly could until the high wore off. And once again, I'd fall off the, the wagon, so to speak, and I'd once again become the prodigal. I remember a time when I was in the military and, and I roomed with a group of guys and we were all druggies. And uh, yeah, we're in the military druggies. It was, you know, what can I say? That was the case. And... Uh, we were always getting high, and then I got tired of the high and went to church. And I still roomed with those guys. And uh, I'd be in church every week, and I'd come home and read my Bible, and I wasn't into the drugs and everything, but then that ran out. And I remember when I made the decision one day that I'm done with God again, I just jumped right back into the cussing and the smoking and, and the drinking and everything else. And I remember my worldly drug addiction buddies saying, we liked you a lot better when you were doing the God thing than right now. Because I was miserable. 
There's many of you in this room, you've had a destiny and a calling on your life since you were young. And you've run away from it for so many years. And so I would uh, chase after God with all my heart and with all my might. And uh, I thought I was loving him with everything that was in me, but I was loving the feeling of chasing after him. And then that would run out. Then I'd go back to the drugs, go back to the alcohol, go back to all the other stuff. I mean, just, and, and the crazy thing is, is that each time I went further and further in the ditch, further and further, to the point that my drug buddy said, we liked you a lot better when you were going to church. And I drove them crazy when I was going to church, <laughs> or at least I thought. And I'd uh, abandon God again and again and again and again and again. And I know many of you all have heard the story, but it's, it's what I'm supposed to share with you today. And then we'll do the scripture and I'll talk a little bit from it. Uh, I remember um, I'd always had this unspoken vow uh, through all my drug years, that if I ever had kids, my kids weren't going to be raised up around that lifestyle. Okay, are you with me? That was just, it was, I don't think I ever raised my hand or made a verbal, it was just right in here, it was my verbal, my unverbal internal vow, and I just had a, a whole bunch of weed, really good stuff, and uh, I was uh, holding, Emily was born. She was born nine months after me and this beautiful lady got together, uh, got married. Let's, let's clear the air on that, okay? <laughs> and I was holding little Emily. I don't know how old she was. She couldn't have been more than a week or two at the most, and probably a week. And so I was holding little Emily, and uh, I was looking down at her, and, oh, man, I was just endeared by this beautiful human being that Diane and I had created. And uh, I thought, man, I gotta go, I gotta go smoke a blunt, man. I'm going downstairs and I'm gonna roll me a big one and I'm gonna smoke this joint, right? And so I set little Emily down, and you know these little bouncy things that you set them down. So I laid her in there and I went downstairs and smoked a, a, a joint. And I came back upstairs because man, I'm so in love with this little girl. And I picked her up and I held her in my arms. For any of y'all who've ever smoked weed, uh, in the very beginning of the weed life, part of the first highs are paranoia. And the paranoia is you just think everybody knows. Everybody knows. That's a, that wears off pretty quick, and then you don't care. But in the very beginning, that's one of the, th the characteristics is that you're, you get paranoid, and you think everybody knows that I'm high. Now, I had been a pot-smoking freak for years and years. That paranoia was far beyond me. And I went downstairs, smoked that joint, come up there and picked up little Emily. She's like a week old. And I looked down at her and I went, oh, she knows. <laughs> paranoia came on me like crazy. And I, that was the moment that the light bulb went off. And I went, you can't do this. You made a vow. And you got to get this straightened up. And so I very shortly then went to Diane. And I said, I think I tried to quit cold turkey, didn't I? And it didn't work. See, I don't even remember. I was so in the, in the fog that I don't even remember. But I know that uh, I would have 
rage attacks and fits and things as I was trying to get clean. And I'd go up to this church. There was a church just up the street. It was an old Pentecostal church. And I'd go up there and they'd be having church inside. And I'd sit on the front steps. Because there was an answer inside. When they weren't having church, I'd go sit on the front steps or march around the building because I needed God. But I decided I'd abused God as a drug for so long that I was not coming back to God again just so I could once again have a new drug and then abuse it. It'd be the professional protocol, right? I'd done it so often that I was at that point in my life where I just felt like, you know, how many times is he going to just whip me up and take me right back and clean me off and make it all good. So I made a decision that I had to get some things fixed before I came to God, which you all have the right now to not say amen, but to go stupid. Because that's not how we do it. God fixes everything. So I had a life as a professional prodigal, turning away from God, running after God, putting the drugs away, running after God, doing the drugs and God all at the same time, like double high. Uh, and then it, it, toward, toward the end, doing, doing drugs and then witnessing to people and thinking, oh my gosh, this is of God. And you know, then I found that wonderful passage of Scripture that says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I went, wait a minute. This is not how we do it. So in, are you at Luke 15? Did you get there? Luke chapter 15. I hadn't forgotten. I hadn't forgotten because I don't even know what I'm going to say yet. So, <laughs> um, This is the story of the prodigal son. And Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. It's already a problem with a child that requests their inheritance before the parents pass away. So there's serious, some serious problems going on there. So the dad, for whatever reason, he decided to, that's what he was going to do, so he divided his wealth between them. So both sons, apparently, it, it implies both sons got their inheritance because he divided his wealth between the two sons. Whether or not the other son got his inheritance or not, I know that on that day the father divided the inheritance in half for both of his sons. And not many days later, verse 13, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now we can define that in any way, we want to, but for 14 years, that's what I did. Nothing but loose living. And I'm, whew, I am so glad Father God never quit wooing me and calling on me because in the whole process of it all, you know what I was doing? You know what you're doing? You know what those that are addicted in, in your life or, or prodigals in your life, they're squandering their inheritance, squandering their legacy. Until he had spent everything, verse 14. Now, when he had spent everything, 
a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. When you have a divine destiny upon your life and you walk away from that divine destiny, you walk away from your inheritance, you find yourself completely empty, completely bankrupt, completely impoverished. Any of y'all in this room who struggled with drug addiction, you found yourself at certain points in that journey completely bankrupt. Of, and I'm not talking about money. You were bankrupt emotionally. You had seen relationship after relationship on the, in the trail behind you where you had hurt so many people or had been hurt by so many people and all of it around your addiction. That's bad enough, but the worst part is knowing that God has a destiny on your life the whole time. Because at that point, you're not just slapping your inheritance in the face, you're slapping God in the face. That's a pretty sad place to be. So you end up with nothing. And when I, when I see this uh, uh, became impoverished, I don't think that, to me, that's not just, well, he spent all his dad's money. The, all the money his dad gave him, it's now gone. No, he was destitute from the inside out. You need to know, those of you who have prodigals in your life, prodigal children, prodigal grandchildren, prodigal husbands, prodigal wives, whatever it may be, you need to know that they are hurting inside. They have known the Lord. You are a prodigal because you knew the Lord and left the Lord. And I wouldn't, I have to believe there's multitudes of us in this room together and online who are dealing with this thing. Sadness over a grandchild, sadness over a, a child, sadness over a, a spouse, whatever it may be, who once ran hot for God, but today is a prodigal in their life. I don't need you to raise your hands. I know that probably every one of us can experience it somehow. But we need to look at those people as more than just a person who abandoned God. But look at them as people that are hurting on the inside and don't know how to find the answer. Clearly, this guy had to even go further because it says, uh, verse 14 again, Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. He started the journey of being completely emotionally, spiritually, physically, monetarily bankrupt in every way. I have so been there in my life. Bankrupt in every possible way. Running from God. Anybody ever been there before? Am I speaking to anybody? Of course, that's when, the, that's when the enemy comes along and causes severe famine figuratively in the land because you can't find an answer. That's because there's only one answer. But this guy, he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. He, became in, he got in covenant with the wrong crowd. He got in covenant now with a citizen of another country. If you are a child of God or, or, or have been and now you're a prodigal or you have a prodigal family member or friend who once was a child of God, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, it comes a point when they now sign citizenship with another kingdom in their life. 
and it's usually at the point of destitution. And maybe for some, they just don't want to run after God because they've been hurt or they've been abused or or a church or a pastor or whatever it may be. A Christian has left them wounded and has never repaired that. Or maybe it was in my case where I was called, but I was hiding from God. And here's the crazy thing. I knew it. I knew that I was impoverished and destitute in my life, but I was hiding from God. Diane and I hadn't even, I don't think we'd gotten, even gotten married yet. And she said to me one day, she said, I'd really like to go to church. We hadn't had the religion conversation in our relationship at this point because I was hiding, right? And by this time, I was off the hard drugs, but I was still, you know, I've looked over the horizon nowadays and wondered, what, what's the what? It's legal now. What's it going? You know, not that I'm craving doing it. I'm just saying, you know, but uh, she said, I want to go to church. Oh, no, we can't do that. She said, why not? I said, because if we go to church, we have to change our lives. And she looked at me and went, we went to church all the time. We never changed our lives. I'm thinking, I want to go to that church. But I knew, that's my point. I knew what was required of me, and I was hiding from God. One week after Emily was born, boom, we went to church. And this time, we gave our hearts to God, but this time it wasn't a sprint. And I've been on that marathon run ever since. Can you say amen? So he found himself completely impoverished, totally bankrupt emotionally, bankrupt spiritually, bankrupt financially. He had no answers for anything. So much so that he came in covenant with an alternate citizenship. He went and hired himself out, verse 15, to one of the citizens of that country, and the citizens sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now, I've been around a lot of stinky farms, and probably the only one that can compete with a pig farm is a chicken farm. It's pretty stinchy, but uh, especially based on which direction the wind blows. Yeah, it makes you grateful that the one across the field's a cow farm, <laughs> right? Uh, that's a terrible job, feeding the pigs. Now keep in mind, I want you to see something here. I want you to consider this young man. He is depressed. He's broken. He's broke. He's working for a pig farmer. And he's got to go feed the pigs. And he's got to be thinking, how much lower can I go? And if you've ever been a prodigal, you know you can go pretty low before you find your way to looking up. And he, verse 16, would have gladly filled his stomach with the pig slop, but no one was giving anything to him. Now that says to me, 
It didn't say he ate the pig slop. It says he wanted to have some pig slop, something fierce, but the pig farmer wouldn't even let him have any pig slop to eat. Can you go any lower? This is the danger of having a prodigal in your life is that that prodigal will find themselves, especially ones who know, have known God in a serious way, will find themselves farther and farther and farther away from God. Desiring food, but the wrong food. When he came to his senses, verse 17, but when he came to his senses, now it doesn't tell us how far he had to go down. It did say at this point that he was like, man, I just want to eat some pig slop. I can't even have no pig slop because the pig farmer won't let me have any pig slop. Again, I don't know that you can be any further in the gutter than that picture. And, and it's crazy to me that so many of us have to get that far in the gutter before we come to our senses. And he came to his senses. He had an aha moment or he had a moment of clarity because he had wasted all of his inheritance on, you know, wine, women, and song. I don't know what kind of drugs or any if they may have had, but the story still is very, you know, applicable. So I don't know how long he was at the pig trough wishing he could eat the pig slop, but unable. I don't know how long it took him. I don't think it was like one day. Oh, wow. No, come to, I, there's a journey. All the scripture has journey points that's not necessarily written. If you watch the storyline, you have to, I wonder how many days he went to the pig trough. Wonder how many times he looked over his shoulder to see if the pig farmer was watching. Because he was so destitute, so bankrupt, so broken. Maybe we could see those prodigals in our life today with a little bit more compassion than with judgment. Because they're broken. And God's still chasing them. Which you don't feel good. God chased me for 14 years. Now I'm chasing him. Verse 17, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. Now he's, you know, he's literally starving to death. You have to believe that that's true. He, would, he said he wished that he could eat the pig slop, but he could not. they would give him none. He's starving. He's dying. On the outside, that's part of the journey as well because you start dying on the inside before you die on the outside. I was, that was me. I was so dead on the inside, I wanted to die. I had so many suicidal thoughts and suicidal tendencies. It was, hey, I don't, I'm not embarrassed. I spent 30 days at Pine Rest Hospital, mental hospital uh, in those days, as I was, before I met Diane. 30 days, because I was trying to kill myself. And you know why? Because God was, well, 
because I was a prodigal son and I'm hiding from God. Friends, is, <laughs> there is no future in hiding from God. If you are a prodigal son or daughter of the Lord, you need to get your head up out of that trough and just run to Jesus as fast as you can. Yes. Praise the Lord. Yes. He'll never forsake you. He'll never, I, I couldn't have gone. I, this story was me. I'd gone that far down the rabbit hole. So he came to his senses, and he went, wait a minute, back at Dad's house, they got best sourdough bread. I'm going to, if I just, and there's, he's got all kinds of hired hands, and he's got everything, and you know his, his, his conscience had to be saying, yeah, but you took your inheritance. How can you show your face? How can you ever come back? You know that scripture, it says that once you've been enlightened, and you leave God, it's impossible for you to return. You ever read that passage of Scripture and wonder what that means? I know what it meant to me. I got to the place where it was impossible for me to run back to God. I had abandoned him so many times. I said, I can't do it again. I'm not going to do it again. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, and I'm dying here, Got pig feces on him and skinny and he's abandoned everything. He doesn't even look like the same guy anymore. Face is all caved in. His eyes are sunken in. He's a mess. He's broken emotionally. He's broken spiritually. He's broken psychologically. He is a broken man. I'll get up, and I'll go to my father. See, this is the answer, prodigal son and daughter. If you're online, and you're, that's you. You're here in this building, and that's you. At some point, you've got to make a decision. I'll just get up, and I'll go to my father. Now, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And in your sight, and I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. Now that resonated with me because not only was, an, was I an addict running from God who had used God as the next high, who now came to the point where I didn't even feel like I could run back to God. I had a natural earthly father who took me to the doorstep of the house and said, leave, don't ever come back, and don't ever even call me dad again. So the idea that a God would receive me, how can that be? I've done so much. He's already done a lot in my life, but I've already just rejected, I've thrown it all, I've spat upon him. My feeling at that time was, if I go back to God again, I'm just going to take the hammer and, and do one more whack on the nails. Because that's what I've done my whole life. Every time I come past God, I pull out the figurative hammer and I take one more swipe at the nails. That's how I felt. So my physical dad would reject me, certainly. A spiritual dad would have nothing to do with me. Because spiritually... I was gaunt 
and my face was shriveled up and my eyes were sunken in and, my, and I had pig slop and pig feces, worldly stuff all over me. I wasn't, there's no way I'm coming back to God. He, he's going to reject me for sure. How can I do this? So he got up and he, he, I'll go back. I will, verse 18, I'll get up and go to my father and we'll say to him, hey, father, dad, how's it wrong? I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants. I'll just work for you. Is that okay? So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, a long way off, his father saw him. And I've always had the picture of this long driveway up to the prodigal sons, their, their house, you know. They had quite an estate. So it was a long driveway, and there's a road down at the end of the driveway, probably one of the main roads. And I always had this picture that every day, father walked to the end of the driveway, took that long walk thinking about his son, missing his son, praying every day for his son. And he gets down to the end of the long walk, looks down that side of the road, looks down that side of the road, maybe tomorrow, goes back home every day. This is my picture. I know that's not in there, but that's my feeling that every day dad's down at the end of the driveway looking both ways for the chance that his son might be coming because it says right there that his dad saw him while he was still a far off distance. Son, are you there? I guess that's not him. Come on, son. Is that you? This is a father that's broken. This is a dad whose heart is broken. This is a dad who had become emotionally destitute from the loss of his son. He cared not about the estate. He cared not about the inheritance. He cared about his son. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And ran. I don't think the son was running. I think the son whole way home was like, oh man, I can't do this. Man, it's so embarrassing. What's dad going to say? I think the son had his head down. That would be the normal course of action, wouldn't it? What did I do? Well, Dad, receive me back. All the family's going to judge me. My brother's definitely going to judge me. He looks up and there's this guy running down the road. I don't have a picture of the prodigal son running. I have a picture of the father running. His dad saw him from the end of the drive, looked down and went, that's him. I can recognize the walk. It don't look like him, but I recognize the walk. There's my son. And he runs to meet his son. 
I don't know how close he got before the son heard and looked up. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him in all his filth. The father ran to him. The boy ain't even been cleaned up yet. The boy was still broken and the boy was still sunken face and eyes sunken in and skin and bones and, and filthy and stinky <coughs> from the world and the citizenship that he connected him to. And his father didn't say, whoa, 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 you smell bad. Let's get you cleaned up. Mm -mm. His father ran and embraced him, fell on him and kissed him. That boy got to be thinking, Whoa, whoa, dad, dad. I'm not worthy, dad, no. I can't. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer even worthy to be your son. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. The father said to his other servants, Bring out the best robe you got in the house. Put it on him. I still don't see anything here. It says, give him a bath first because I don't want to mess up the best robe in the house. This is an important part of the storyline. You remember my, my feeling was, I'll come back to God when I get fixed. He's saying, no, Rick, I'm looking for you at the end of the driveway. I'll be watching. And I don't care how messed up you are. I'm going to put my arms around you and I'm going to receive you just like you are. This is how we have to come back to God. In all of our mess, in all of our stench, in all of our trouble, and let him clothe us. Let him put the robe on us. Let him kiss us. Let him embrace us. This is another thing that we often do in our Christian life, especially if we have a repentant lifestyle and we come to God and we repent and then we just get up and go do our stuff, but we don't stay long enough at the altar of repentance to feel the embrace of the Father. The son didn't walk up like, hey, I'm your kid, you're God, you're supposed to love me. And say, I'm sorry. Okay, let's go party. I'm not worthy, Dad. No, don't embrace me. I'm not worthy. Let me just be a hired servant. And he went, and dad said, no, that ain't what we're doing. We're going to put a robe on you, and we're going to celebrate today. A robe in all that filth. There's one great thing about that error in time. There were no cell phones. <laughs> oh, Hallelujah. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. The ring is back in the family. 
That's why that's there. This is, this is the son of my loins. This is the son of my covenant. I receive him in all his mess. How many of you are waiting to get yourself cleaned up before you come to God or you're trying to work out your own salvation, salvation through your good works? He's saying, come here, let me help you work out your salvation with fear and trembling by bringing your messy, stinky self to me and I'll put a robe on you. I'll, I'll do the covenant relationship and put a ring on your finger and all of heaven will party when you return. Whee! Son said, Father, I've sinned against you. Verse 21 in your side, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put sandals on his feet. Man, them had to have been some grody feet. Mm -mm, I got a problem with feet. Those had to be some really grody feet. Not only that, we're going to put a new robe on him. I'm going to welcome him carte blanche without any explanation back into my family. I'm going to, that, and I'll seal that by putting a ring on him. And we're going to put shoes on his feet because my son needs shoes on his feet. My God is into shoes. Ladies, you should have said amen, hallelujah, glory to God. <laughs> we're not done there, though. I want you to bring that fatted calf, the one we've been preparing now, wait, pause. I don't think that was any fatted calf. Based on the storyline and what I'm seeing in this storyline, uh, I'm betting that this fatted calf was being fattened for the return of the lost son. This dad longed for his son. He went to the end of the driveway every day to look down the road to see if he's coming. You've got to know that he had plans for the day he returned. I just, I know it's not there, but I'm betting with all my heart that that fatted calf was already slated for the son's return. I'm betting the robe was already waiting on the edge of the son's bed to go on his shoulder. I bet the ring was on the bedside table waiting for dad to put it back on in all his mess. Maybe I just needed this message today. I don't know. Bring the fatted calf, the fatted calf, the, not a fatted calf, the fatted calf. Woo! I don't care how far away you are from God. I, I bet there's prodigals in the room here today. I don't care how far away you, you are from God. God is looking for you. He's drawing you back and he's not going to look at you in anger and look at you in judgment or look at you like my dad might have should I show up on his doorpost again. What are you doing here? I told you to get away. I told you never to come back again. What are you doing here? No, 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 no. I longed for that dead. Bring that fatted calf. You know the one. The one I've been preparing. I'm, I'm, I'm filling in the, my storyline. Because the, the Bible's like a movie. Hey, y'all, you know that calf I've been preparing? Yeah, well, son's here. Go kill that calf. And let us eat and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they all but one began to celebrate. I'm not here to talk about the other son 
who was prodigal in his heart. The other son was prodigal in his actions and was sorry for his actions. The next son was prodigal in his heart, and I don't know that he ever got over it. So, this is an unprepared message this morning. And those of you who know me know I like being prepared. And I don't know who here today needed to hear this. Maybe a dad and a mom who have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter who was raised upright, raised maybe even in the church, certainly raised in a Christian environment, but today is completely down another path. You know that they know that you know that they know better. <laughs> maybe it's a prodigal spouse, a husband or a wife who once knew God and no longer have a need at least that they can sense for God. Maybe that's you. Or grandma and grandpa who have watched your grandkids become prodigal through the prodigal parent and are just wishing and praying and hoping. I would pray that through this message you have more compassion on that prodigal today than you had before. Because if they've known God, then they know what it's like to be without, to be impoverished, to be in the figurative life of sitting at the pig trough, wishing they could just have some of that because they're so empty everywhere else. And when you're that empty everywhere else, there's only one thing that can fill you. And it's not pig slop. And it's not another citizenship. It's a return to the Father. So I implore you today. Brother, can you come to the guitar this morning? I implore you today to return to the Father. It just felt a nudge by the Holy Spirit. There may be even one here today or online. You're on the pinnacle. You're like, uh, this, this kid had to have, listen, one day he didn't just wake up and go, Dad, I want my inheritance. I'm betting that kid thought about that and thought about that and played out scenario conversations and, and well, if I'll, I'll say this to Dad and, and, and this is, you have to know, that's human nature, right? And I'm betting that there's uh, probably one of you here today or one of you online who you're thinking, yeah, I, I don't know about this God stuff, man. It's not working out for me. I think I'm done with it. It's no longer fun. I'm going back to my old lifestyle. God's waiting on you. God's calling you today. And again, I don't know that, whether that's you here or somebody online that I'm supposed to be speaking to today or sometime even later this week or month or next year. Who needs to hear from a former prodigal son how a prodigal can come back to a loving father? And I'm not the only one, I know I'm not the only one here who has had the terrible earthly father experience and has viewed Father God through that same lens. But I want you to know, your lenses are smudged. Your lenses are distorted because that is not Father God. Father God will never take me to his doorstep and say, leave and don't ever come back. Don't ever call me Father again. No, brother and sister, He's waiting at the end of the driveway, looking for you to return.
Holy Spirit just nudged me again. Some of you haven't gone all out prodigal physically because you're still here. But you've gone prodigal in here. In your spirit. In your heart and in your mind. Daddy's waiting on you too. Daddy's waiting on you. You got a song? Well, I had two messages coming to this platform, so start singing for us, and let me just, we'll just see where, where this goes. Bow your heads with me, please. child stand to your feet sing again I'll stop you again but you sing again come on receive it daddy's talking to you right now daddy's calling that child bright shine The sun, we've no less days to sing your praise than when we first begun. Yeah, hallelujah, your grace like rain. Falling down on me. Come on. Hallelujah. No, my stain. Receive it. Washed away. Trust in Daddy. Hallelujah. Grace like rain. It's falling down on me. Hallelujah. No, my stain. Have a seat, please. Have a seat, please. Prodigal spouse. You have a prodigal spouse. Stand to your feet.
Daddy's calling him. Daddy's calling him. He's calling him right now. All you got to do is trust Daddy. My beautiful daughter, Erica, took a turn at one point in her life. Those of you who are standing, look at me right now. Took a turn in her life where it was a direction. It was breaking Diane in my heart. You know this. You've heard the story, too. And it just, I didn't know what to do. And I was depressed, and I'd lay in the bed. And, 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 and God, what, what am I going to do? God, what am I going to do? God, what am I going to do? I raised her up. She knows better. He said, Rick. When are you going to trust me with her? When are you going to trust me with her? I went, Daddy, you're right. I don't have this, but you got this. When are you going to trust Daddy with your spouse? Sing, brother. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Grace like rain is falling down on me. Hallelujah, all my stains are washed away. Jesus, Daddy's talking. Hallelujah, grace Daddy's calling. It's falling down on me. Hallelujah, all my stains are washed away. Washed away. Yes. Okay, sit down, please. You are. I talked about the prodigal who is still here. He already kind of left inside. I need you to stand. Be brave. Be honest. You're on the cusp of taking off with daddy's inheritance. You don't want to end up being the prodigal son or daughter. But you're on the threshold. Come on, there's more. If that's you, take the step today before you get too far gone. Anyone else? Go ahead and sing for me, brother. Hallelujah, grace like rain is falling down on me. Hallelujah, all my stains washed away, yeah. Hallelujah, grace like rain is falling down on me. Hallelujah, all my stains washed away so, washed it. away yeah 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 you washed away oh lord let them fall washed away through different lenses as someone who's hurting 
someone who's empty. The best thing you can do is show them the love of the Father, not judgment, not ridicule, not preachy. You should be ready with the robe figuratively and the ring figuratively and the fatted calf figuratively. You should be ready already to see them with compassion and to fall upon them and welcome them home and weep with them. Some of us would be like, well, it's about time. Or I told you so. I think maybe we should have more compassion on the prodigal, son or daughter, husband or wife. If you can believe it and you can receive it, would you give the Lord a praise in the house of God today? Amen, 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 amen.